0: If you got your Bibles, open up to Nehemiah, chapter 2. That's where we're going to be at tonight as we continue our study through the book of Nehemiah. Now, last week, we began our study in the book of Nehemiah. We talked about the restoration uh, that was going to be taking place in the land of Nehemiah. And there's a couple things that Nehemiah began with. And first, he began by assessing the damage. In other words, he, he understood, he found out things that were going on in Jerusalem that really bothered him, and that was the fact that the walls we're down. And a lot of times we don't recognize how important walls are because uh, we just, we take it for granted how blessed we are. If we have a home, most of us lock our doors, right? If you have a security system, you may even set that security system. But back then, walls were important because it was much, much harder to get over those walls back then. And so these people didn't have walls. They didn't have protection. They didn't have help. And so Nehemiah assessed the damage and realized that something needed to take place. And then he did the next best thing, the absolute best thing that he could do once he assessed the damage, and that was take it and pray about it to the Lord, and he began to pray about what God would do for them and how God would bless them if they turned back. As long as they repented and got their hearts right, he knew that God would bring them back, that God would restore them, and so that's what Nehemiah began to pray for. Well, now as we get into chapter two and chapter three, we begin to see Nehemiah putting his feet to his prayers. In other words, he begins to do his part. He begins to go forth and do what God has called him. To do, And so that's what we're going to talk about tonight as we talk about rebuilding. So we're going to look at three people that Nehemiah found favor with to rebuild. The first one that we find in chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, is he found favor with the king. Look at me in verse 1. And it came to pass in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of Artaxerxes, the king, that wine was before him, and I took up the wine, and I gave it unto the king. Now I had not been before time sad in his presence." Wherefore the king said unto me, Why is thy countenance sad, seeing thou art not sick? This is nothing else but sorrow of heart. Then I was very sore afraid. In other words, Nehemiah recognized that he was broken over the situation. In other words, his face showed his brokenness. And the king recognized it. Now here's the thing. You didn't want to be sad in front of the king. In other words, you wanted to keep an uplifted spirit. You wanted to be an encouragement to the king. Why? Because if you found disfavor with the king, they could just take your head. And so Nehemiah knew that this was trouble for him. Nehemiah knew that if the king recognized his sadness, he would want to know what's going on. What can we do to help? Or better yet, he could just say, I don't want to listen to it. You need to leave. And so Nehemiah knew that this could be his moment. It makes me think of the book of Esther. If you've ever read the book of Esther, you know that she came to a very critical point in her opportunity to share with the king what was about to take place. In fact, her cousin Mordecai was the one that told her about it. He said, you, you got to think about this. you got to understand, what God. how do you know that God hasn't put you at this time for this moment? So Nehemiah was at that point. He now needed to make a statement. So in verse 3 it says, And said unto the king, Let the king live forever. Why should not my countenance be sad when the city, the place of my fathers, the lie waste, and the gates thereof are consumed with fire? The king said unto me, For what dost thou make requests? So I prayed to the God of heaven. How many of you have ever given one of those little quick prayers, right? You know, you you, got to say something right then. The moment is there. It's time for you to speak up. It's time for you to say something. And under your breath, you just immediately start praying. Now, I know the kids understand this because if you've ever taken an exam that you didn't study for, those prayers come out real quick. Lord, help me remember what I didn't study. Please just give me supernatural wisdom, right? Now, we've all probably whispered this, especially when we come to a moment, we know that we don't have a lot of time. Maybe somebody's approached you about something and you've got to have the words to say. And you might say under your breath, God, give me the words. God, speak through me. God help me. And at this point, Nehemiah knew he's got to answer. He's got to respond. He's got to say something. And so he wants to know, God, give me the strength to say what needs to be said. And he says, the city, the place of my fathers, in other words, it lies, waste. It's consumed with fire. Why would I not be sad? Could you imagine basically what it would be like is this. If your hometown had been burnt to the ground, how many of you would be in despair? If somebody called you up and said, hey, where you were born, it's all gone. It's been destroyed. It's been defeated. It's been torn down. We would be in great despair. And so Nehemiah said, of course I'm going to be in anguish. Because I understand that my hometown is not right. In verse 5 he says, And I said unto the king, If it pleased the king, and if thy servant hath found favor in thy sight, that thou wouldest send me unto Judah, unto the city of my fathers, the cultures, and I may build it. And the king said unto me, the queen also sitting by, For how long shall thy journey be? And will, when wilt thou return? So it pleased the king to send me, and I set him a time. is it amazing Nehemiah says, let me go. He doesn't say, oh, hey, by the way, king, I, I know of some great wall builders. I know of some men that can build walls like nobody's business, and I would like you to send them on to do what you've called me to do. I wonder how many of you have ever done that. God, I know you're calling me to do something, but I can think of a few other people that would be better for it. I can think of somebody's, here's what you need to understand. And I heard this tonight and I thought, Scott's done taking my sermon. And I heard it tonight during discipleship training. God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. If God has called you to do something, he's going to give you the ability to do it. Nehemiah didn't look at it and say, you know what? I can't build a wall. I'm just a cupbearer. Now, if you're you're not certain of what a cupbearer is, it's real simple. He drank whatever was going to be given to the king first to make sure that it wasn't poisoned. Isn't that a great job? The king may not go down, but the cupbearer will. I mean, that's what he did. He drank whatever was given to the king first so that the king could live. And so basically the king would watch his cupbearer and wait. Is he going to die? He's good? All right, I'll drink it now. Now, many of y'all be like, I am not drinking after anybody. That's how you get sick, right? But I'm going to tell you what, if you were the king and you were afraid for your life, I'd let somebody taste my drink first. And that's what he did. But he said, you know what, he wanted to use this opportunity. And the king said, well, what am I going to do? He said, it pleased the king. I I love this. You got to understand, Nehemiah was just a cupbearer, not a wall builder. But with God, we can do all things. With God, we can do all things. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. I am not much of a man when it comes to construction. I can, I can do a few things. Any of you guys ever, how many of you grew up and you built your own tree house? Anybody build their own treehouse? A few of you did. You see, my daddy was a contractor. And so what I would do is whatever my dad was throwing away was what I used. Now understand, if he was throwing it away, it was no good. But it was used for my tree house. Now here's the thing. The thing about my tree house is you could get up on it, but there weren't any walls. There was like a floor. And it was crooked, and it had some holes in it, but it was a tree house. all right? But that's the thing. If God is calling you to do something, God didn't call me to build tree houses, all right? But if God is calling you to do something, he will give you the ability to do it in every instance. Nehemiah did not build walls, but he was going to. That's what amazes me. But verse 7, it says, more of I said unto the king, if it please the king, let letters be given to me to the governors beyond the river, that they may convey me over till I come into Judah. And a letter unto Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me the timber to make beams for the gates of the palace which I pertain to the house, and for the wall of the city, and for the house that I shall enter into. And the king granted me according to the good hand of my God upon me. And he said, I need supplies. I need building material. And king, you have a wealth of building material. So if you could just give me a letter. How many of you would love to have a letter to Lowe's that says, give me whatever I need? Some of these guys are in here like, you mean I could get whatever tool I want? You know, all the lumber I need? Man, some of you guys would be going nuts. But that's exactly what Nehemiah was given. It was a letter to be able to take whatever materials he needed to build that fence. Some of you guys are sitting there going, I could build him a really good wall and fence with that, right? But you think about it. He was given all the materials because God was blessing him. God was beginning to open doors for him. That's the thing. When God begins to open the door, no one can shut it. No one can close the door. And here's I always found this funny. I had some, some ministry friends of mine, and they said this. One time I heard one of the guys, he said, if God closes a door, I jump through a window. Let me tell you something. If God closes a door, don't go anywhere. You don't move. That's when you follow Psalm 4610, be still and know that he is God. You sit back and you wait. When God opens a door, he will open it and he will make it abundantly clear that it is from him. Now, here's the thing. A lot of people say, well, you know, does God really give those billboard experiences? I'm going to tell you, I would love to tell you that anytime I ask God a question, I drive down the road and there's a billboard that gives me my answer. Wouldn't that be awesome? I would love it. But I can just tell you for sure that God does make it evident and God does make it obvious. When my wife and I were praying about God's leadership for our guidance and where he wanted us to be, there was a day I began to pray and I said, okay, Lord, I need you to show me if this is the church, if this is where you want my family to be. I said, I need to have absolute assurance of this. And I began to read my devotional. And here's the thing. I read this devotional and what it is, is I have a sheet and I'll be putting it out Lord January, because here's the one, I want everybody in the church reading through the Bible. would it be awesome if all of us were reading through the Bible together, we were on the same chapter and same verse every day together. And I'll put that out there because I want us to read through the Bible. So I'm reading through this that I put out five years ago. So this has been out for a long time. That day that I prayed and I asked God for direction, I come to a passage in Hosea chapter 14. Hosea 14. Now, how many of you think that God's going to answer through Hosea 14? A minor prophet, last chapter of the book. Well, he did. As I began to read in those nine verses, guess what I saw in there? There was the city Lebanon labeled three times. I asked for it, I got it. You know, the old saying, here's your sign. That's what God does. He makes it abundantly clear. There's no doubt what He's wanting you to do. If you'll pay attention, God opens the doors and He shows you what He wants you to do. And nobody can close it when God opens the door. Nobody. The door was opening wide for Nehemiah. Look at verse 9. You see it opened even wider. Then I came to the governors beyond the river and gave them the king's letters. Now the king had sent captains of the army and horsemen with me. When Sembalat the Hornite and Tobiah the servant Ammonite heard of it, it grieved them exceedingly that there was come a man to seek the welfare of the children of Israel. Can I tell you something? When you begin to do God's will for your life, expect opposition. Every time. If you think that God is going to make the path easy, you are fooling yourself. There is always going to be... Here's the thing. It's always funny to me. People say, in a church, I think you should have a 100% vote. Can I just tell you something? If you have a 100% vote, Satan is not scared. He's not scared. He's not worried at all. You say, well, what do you mean by that? Satan can get into the church. Right? He can get into the church. It can happen. And don't think that he's not trying to ruin things. Don't think he doesn't try to stir things up. Don't think that he doesn't want opposition. Don't think that he doesn't want to stop the plans of God. Don't think that he doesn't want us going out in this community. He wants to stop everything. Let me tell you something. Satan would be just fine if we did church in here and we didn't go out there. He'd be just fine if we stayed right here in these four walls and we never made a difference in our community. He would be thrilled with that. But when you begin to do what God has called you to do, you can expect opposition. You can expect difficulties. You can expect people to come out of the woodworks trying to cause you problems. And that's just fine. Because here's the thing. When that happens, you can know that he's scared and he's worried because God's getting ready to do something great. It's going to happen. Nehemiah was going to face opposition. It wasn't going to be easy for him. So Nehemiah found favor with the king. Number two, Nehemiah found favor with the leaders. Look at me in verse 11. So I came to Jerusalem and was there three days. And I rose in the night, and I and some of the men with me, neither told I any man what my God had put in my heart to do at Jerusalem. Neither was there any beast with me, save the beast that I rode upon. And I went out by night by the gate of the valley, even before the dragon well, and to the dung port, and viewed the walls of Jerusalem, which were broken down, and the gates thereof were consumed with fire. Then I went on to the gate of the fountain and to the king's pool, but there was no place for the beast that was under me to pass. Then, I, then went I up in the night by the brook and viewed the wall and turned back and entered by the gate of the valley and so returned. And the rulers knew not whether I went. And what I did, neither had I as yet told it to the Jews, nor to the priests, nor to the nobles, nor to the rulers, nor to the rest that did the work. He began by assessing the damage. He took three days to tour the city. He wanted to know, okay, what's wrong with this place? Where are the weakest points? What needs to be built up the most? What gates need to be rebuilt? What walls need to be fixed more than any other wall? He began to really assess and try to figure out what was going on because he wanted to come up with a plan before he presented it to the leaders. One of the worst things that you can do is say, Well, God has told me to do something, and then you don't know what you're supposed to do. People will come up to me, and I always love this. This this one always blows me away. They'll say, God wants us to do such and such. And I'll say, what well, sounds to me like God wants you to do such and such. Usually the reason why they want that is they say, well, we want you to plan it. We want you to, to push it. We want you to be a part of it. We want you to lead it. Can I tell you something? If God is calling you to do it, then he wants you to lead it. He wants you to be the one setting up. He wants you to be the one that plans it. He wants you to be the one that makes the difference through that ministry. That's the point. Nehemiah knew. He said, I know God has called me. Now i got to come up with a plan. And then I'm going to present it to the leaders and hope that the leaders will back me so then we can present it to the people. Nehemiah was being very, very wise. 17. Then said I unto them. You see the distress that we are in, how Jerusalem lieth waste, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. Come, and let us build up the wall of Jerusalem, that we be no more reproach. Then I told them of the hand of my God, which was good upon me, as also the king's word that he had spoken unto me. And they said, Let us rise up and build. So they strengthen their hands for this good work. I love it. You know what the leaders basically said? We're all in. We're all in. We're going to build the walls. Now you might say, Brother, what are we building? We're not building walls, are we? No, we're not going to build walls. But let me tell you what we ought to do. We've got to plan for the things that God is calling us as a church to do. Do you realize that there are five major things that the church is called to do? Did you know that? Five major things. You want to know what they are? Number one, discipleship. Do you know that we are called to make disciples? Now, here's what's interesting. A lot of people say, well, brother, you know, I don't have the capabilities to teach. Well, then you haven't read Hebrews 5, have you? The problem is, is that all of us, if we've been Christians for some time, ought to be able to teach the Word of God. Every one of us. The problem is, is there's too many people that are still on the elementary principles. There's still too many infant Christians still sucking on the milk. It's time we get to the meat. It's time we get to the depth of God's word. You see, that's what we're called to do. And it takes discipleship. Now understand, discipleship is more than teaching. Discipleship is a mentoring program. When Jesus made disciples, what did he do? He showed them how to do it. He didn't just tell them how to do it. He showed them how to do it. He mentored them. He helped them to grow. The church is called to make disciples. Number two, we're called to worship. Don't you love worship? I'm telling you, I love to worship. I love to get excited about the things that God is doing. I love to get excited just about who God is. You realize that's what worship is about, right? It's showing worth to God that you think he's worthy of your praises. Now, I'm going to tell you, a lot of people say, well, brother, I just, I can't sing. Let me tell you something. There's a lot of people that can't sing. Just lay it out there for the Lord. Now, if your neighbor taps you on the shoulder and tells you to be quiet... I'm just kidding. You sing. You glorify God, you worship Him, you exalt Him, you praise Him, you glorify Him, you testify for Him, you shout the rooftops off the place. I'm going to tell you what, I want to see worship where it blows the roof off of the church. I want to see worship that is lifted so high and God is magnified in such a way that the Shekinah glory comes down among us. I want to see where we glorify God in such a way that God moves like He's never moved before. You see, that's worship. We're called a disciple. We're called to worship. We're called to fellowship. Don't you just love each other? Wow, I'm in trouble. Can I just tell you, I love you already? Can I say that? I love you. We love you. Man, I'm going to tell you, I love to fellowship. I can't wait to eat next week. Isn't that funny? As a Baptist, I look forward to eating. I really do. I love fellowship. You want to know why? Here's the thing, I I don't I don't get up there. I don't rush. Now I know some of you. There's probably I'll guarantee you next week, y'all probably know who's going to be first in line, don't you? I don't know who's going to be. It's not going to be me. You want to know why? Because usually during those meals, I like to just walk around and talk to whoever's out there. I'll eventually get food. I might eat it with a spoon. But I'll eventually get food, all right? But that's the thing. I love fellowship. God has made us to fellowship with one another. He wants us to love one another. And here's the truth. I know we're called to love each other because he says, how can you love me whom you cannot see if you can't love your brother who you see? Man, I love to fellowship. So we're called to disciple. We're called to worship. We're called to fellowship. We're called to ministry. Do you realize that God has given every one of you in here a gift to serve the Lord? God doesn't want pew warmers. He wants servers. He wants you serving in some capacity, whether it's through singing, whether it's through taking up offering, whether it's through sharing your testimony, whether it's through teaching. There's just so many avenues that God wants to use you. God has given you a gift to use for his glory and his honor. And we've got to help you know what that gift is and then show you how you can use it. But that's what the church is called for. You ready for the last one? I know this is just going to blow your socks off. We're called to evangelize. We're called to tell people about Jesus. And can I tell you something? Out of those five things that I just listed, there's only one you cannot do in heaven. You can't evangelize in heaven, can you? So if you can't do it in heaven, you better get started down here. We got a lot of work to do. You see, those are the five premises, the five most important aspects of the church that we've got to be focused on, and that's what God wants us to do, is to get about the business of doing the Lord's work. That's what this is about. It's helping us understand that we've got a plan, we've got a prep, and we've got to get out there and do the job God has called us to do. That's what Nehemiah is teaching us tonight. Verse 19, he goes on. He says, But when Sambalat the Hornite, and Tobiah the servant, the Ammonite, and Geshem the Arabian heard it, they laughed us to scorn and despised us and said, What is this thing that you do? Will you rebel against the king? Again, there will always be people who will ridicule you when you're doing the things that God has called you to do. One of my favorite things that I started in Alabama a year and a half ago we did it on Saturdays. Every Saturday morning at 10 o'clock, I'd get up, and I'd go to the church, and there'd be a group of people that would meet me there, and we would go knocking on doors. Amen. Our goal was to knock on every door in Mount Olive. Now, I can tell you, before I left in a year and a half, because of the time that we spent in it, we had probably done two-thirds of the city. Now, that was supposed to take us about three years, but we did it in a year and a half. We went a knocking. And we went talking to the people because we wanted to share the gospel with every person in that city. Now, here's the thing. We got a lot of doors slammed in our face. We had a lot of people that scorned what we were doing. I had people inside the church scorning that we were going out and knocking on doors. They said it'll never work. I said, how do you know unless you go do it? I always love people that say, it won't work. Or my favorite phrase of the church. Are y'all ready for this one? I wonder if y'all have heard this one before. We have never done it that way before. Right? Can I tell you that is going to be written on the tombstone of every church that dies. We've never done it that way before. You see, here is what God is calling us to do. No matter through ridicule, no matter through shame, we've got to follow His will. Verse 20, I love this. Then answered I them and said unto them, The God of heaven, He will prosper us. Therefore, we as servants will arise and build. Yet you have no portion, nor right, nor memorial in Jerusalem. (laughs) Nehemiah said, I know who I serve. I know who's told me what I'm going to do. And guess what? You don't have any part in this. Wouldn't you just love to say that to somebody? How many of you have ever just wanted to look at somebody and go, get behind me, Satan? You ever thought about that? I would love to try that sometime. Somebody please come be mean to me just so I can say that one time. You know, Get behind me, Satan. I just want to say it. You know? But you think about that. I mean, he recognizes that these guys had no part in it. In other words, you don't want to see God bless us. You don't want to see God thrive. You don't want to see God's plan work out. And here's the thing. There are people out there that are like that. They don't want to see God succeed. They don't want to see God's plan work. They would rather see it stay the same because that's just the way it's always been. Folks, if if we want to reach the next generation, can I tell you something? Let's just go ahead and say it. This does not change, but the methods do. The word doesn't change, but the methods will. I mean, you think about it. Paul said what? What? To the circumcised, I was like the circumcised. To the uncircumcised, like the uncircumcised. To those without the law, like those without the law. To those with the law, like those with the law. In other words, I tried to reach them where they were at. You see, that's what we're called to do. All right, let's look lastly at favor with the people. We're just going to look at a few of these verses in chapter 3. Because I know y'all just want to read about all the places and all the names, don't you? First off, there's four lessons we're going to learn as he found favor with the people. Number one. He had everyone do their share. Look at verse 1. Then Elisha, the high priest, rose up with his brethren, the priests, and they built the sheep gate. They sanctified it, set up the doors of it, even under the tower of man. They sanctified it under the tower of Hananah. Isn't it amazing that even the priests... did Did you know that pastors can actually do something other than preach? I know that just shocks you, doesn't it? It just shocks people. One of my favorite things that we did at the first church I was a part of was the men got together and they said, you know what, we're getting a new playground. I mean, we got one of those nice playgrounds that goes out at parks. A lady donated all the money for us to get us this playground. She donated the money to get it, not to put it together. So I got the men together and I said, hey, let's put this playground together. There's about 14 of us for three weeks, three Saturdays we got together and we put that playground together. We spent about six hours each Saturday putting together. It was the most fun I've ever had with men. It was just a blast. We're sitting here putting, because we messed it up a few times, and then we finally got the pieces in the right place. But the idea was this, is that everybody can do their part. We had people that could read the instructions while others were screwing in the bolts. We had people that knew where the pieces needed to be, so they laid it out where it needed to go. That's the thing. Everybody can do their part, including the priests. Not only were the priests doing it, but verse 8 tells us the goldsmiths. It says, next to them, they repaired Azel, the son of Harah, of the goldsmiths. Even the perfumers, in verse 8, next unto them was the one who prepared Hananiah, the son of one of the apothecaries. apothecaries. That's a perfumer. In verse 12, even the daughters were in it. Next to him was repaired Shalom, the son of Halahesh, the ruler of half the part of Jerusalem. He and his daughters. Now, isn't that amazing? Even women can build. Man, I didn't hear many women say amen. Y'all just must think, you just want your husbands to think you can't do it, so they keep doing it, right? Is that what it is? Even the daughters got involved. The leaders, verses 14 to 19, the Levites even got involved in verse 17. He had everybody do their share. That's the idea. You understand, here's one of the greatest problems in the church today. It is the 2080 principle. 20% of the people doing 80% of the work. That is horrible. There are people that are here, it seems like nonstop serving the church. That's not the problem. The problem is, is there's not enough of us doing that. Could you imagine if everybody did their part, if everybody pulled their weight, if everybody did what God had called them to do? Could you imagine the community that we'll reach? We've got to all do our share. Second thing we learn from this, he had those who could do more do the most. Guess what? There are some out there that just have the capabilities of doing more than other people. Look at verse 16: "After him repaired Nehemiah, the son of Osboth, the ruler, on half the part of Basir, unto the place over against the secolges of David, and to the pool that was made and under the house of the mighty." In other words, this guy had a long stretch of wall compared to everybody else. Verse 24. It says, after him repaired Bunai, the son of Anadad, another piece from the house of Azariah, under the turning of the wall, even unto the corner. So there's several guys that ended up doing a whole lot more work than other people. And here's the thing. They didn't go out there bragging about how much they did either. I mean, I love it when people come here and they do work and they don't do it to be recognized. We don't need to be recognized, do we? Do you need the boy from man? Because if you need a boy from man, it means you won't get one from God. That's why we do it. But there were some that did even more. And I love, see, the third thing we can learn. He had them work where they would be most passionate to work. Verse 23. After him repaired Benjamin and Hashib over against their house. After him repaired Azariah, the son of Macy, the son of Ananiah, by his house. Here's the thing. If you're building a wall by your house, you're going to make sure it's strong, right? That'd be like if you were putting a deadbolt on your house, you're going to make sure it's done right. You're going to make sure that your house is protected. Nehemiah knew, hey, guess what? If this guy's not going to work, I know exactly the place to give him. Hey, you've got the wall behind your house. Nobody else is going to do that? Nope, that's your part. Well, I wasn't planning on doing anything. Well, then I guess your wall's going to be open and your house is going to be overrun. He had them do where they were most passionate. Here's the truth of the matter. You need to find out in the church, where's your passion? What do you love to do? I hope it's not complain. There's no department for that. All right? What are you most passionate about? If you're passionate about kids, man, I got two ladies that would love to meet you after church. Miss Reba, I got amens from them. They would love to see you, Miss Reba, Miss Rachel. They would love you. Here's the thing. I'm going to tell you one of my favorite ministries, and it breaks my heart that I don't get to do it. That's why they were the first classes I went to. I used to love to keep nursery. Before I was a pastor, we kept nursery. Before we had kids, we kept nursery. I love children. I love them. To me, that is one of the best places you can serve in the church. And I told them, I said, if you guys have problems getting workers, Here's what's gonna happen. If they have a problem getting nursery workers, Miss Reba's gonna come to me one day and she's gonna say, I need a nursery worker, and if nobody volunteers, I'm gonna go work it, and somebody has to come up here and preach. Y'all ready for that? Y'all think I'm kidding. I'll go work with babies. I love them. You see, here's the thing you gotta find where you're most passionate about. You might say, Well, Brother John, I'm just not passionate about children. Well, we got senior adults that would love to have you work with them too, right? We got couples that need to see older couples who have made their marriages work. We need to see you guys stepping up and teaching younger couples how to make it work. We need men and women in here who want to lead who want to do what God has called them to do. We need women that are willing to lead other women and teach them how to get deeper in the study of God's Word. We need men who want to lead their homes and teach their children the ways of God. We need people to step up and be passionate about something and do what God is calling them to do. That's what Nehemiah was laying on the line. Find a place where you're passionate and get involved. Are you ready for this? This is, this is my favorite. Number four, here's the last thing we can learn from this. He had to work around certain people. Verse 5. And next unto them the Tekoites repaired, but their nobles put not their necks to the work of their Lord. Guess what? There are always going to be some people that love to tell you what to do, but will not do it themselves. Can I just... Share something with you. If, if you come up and share with me that there's a problem, and I know it will happen one day. I know I'm new, so it's not happening yet. But if you come up and you share with me that there's a problem, here's what I expect out of you. You better have a solution. If you don't have a solution, don't come share a problem because all you're wanting to do is cause the problem to be even bigger. That's not God. That's not what He wants us to do. Now, if you got a solution, you come share it. Because here's what I'm probably going to tell you. You're the solution. It's yours. Right? That'll solve a lot of problems, won't it? I don't have any problem, brother. I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. Sometimes there are people you have to work around. We we did a Sunday school thing. I thought it was so cool. You guys did a Sunday school thing just a couple of weeks ago. I, I... Can I I just tell you how much I love Sunday school? I enjoyed being in Scott's class today. He said he wanted to know if he passed or failed. You got a D. It's okay. You did pass just barely, but it's good. We'll work on it. Uh, No, I'm just kidding. No, it was great. I love Sunday school. And, And my family loves Sunday school. We want to be a part of these classes. We're going around to each of the classes. Why? Because I want to get to meet everybody. So if you're not a part of Sunday school, get in it. Be a part of it. But I love it because we did a competition like that. And I remember we went, to these, we went to these different classes. We said, we're going to put you on the saints. And then we went to this class, and you're going to be on the angels. And so we kind of did what they called a Super Bowl Sunday. And we put all these different classes together. And we wanted to see how many guests they could bring in and have perfect attendance. And you, got, you scored points based on these things. And it was going to be an exciting time. And I remember going to this older class of men. And I said, you guys are going to be on the saints. And they went. No, we're not. You want to be on the angels? No, we don't do things like that in this church. We ain't never done it that way before. Hmm. I just wanted to pray right then. I I I really needed to pray right then, but all I could think to myself is why. Why? And I realized that guess what? Sometimes they're just people. You just work around them. You just work around them. You're not going to get everybody on board. It's never going to happen. Now, if we do get everybody on board, hallelujah, praise the Lord, we've had revival. But sometimes you got to work around it. But here's the thing here's what I want you to get tonight. You need to find your place. If you come up to me and you say, brother, I I don't know where I can fit in. We will find a place for you. We will find out what God has gifted you in. We'll find out what you're passionate about. And we will plug you in. Because God wants every one of us serving. God has enough pew warmers. He wants more workers. Find where God is calling you and get involved. Serve, work, help. Do your part. I'm even enjoyed the little kids up here. Isn't that awesome? I especially love the little girl, right front and center. Those are my favorite. Now whoever 's parents she is, I just want you to know, I love her. She, she just really spoke to me tonight. All right? You, you know why? Because she's up here to praise the Lord, and she was just having a good time, and that's what it's all about. It's what it's all about. Get involved where you're passionate. Find what God wants you to do. And God will open the door for you. And when he opens that door, you step through it.